Welcome to the Your Purpose is Calling podcast, conversations with Christians who are finding purpose, redefining work, and changing their world. I'm your host, Don Sadler. Today, my guest is Brett Gilbert, Regional Innovation Chair and Associate Professor at American University in Washington, D.C. Brett travels the world conducting research on the positive impact of entrepreneurship in creating wealth in communities and exposing the barriers that prevent entrepreneurs from thriving. In this episode, Brett talks about how being a believer influences her work, how entrepreneurs can overcome personal barriers to starting and growing a business, and how one chance postcard in the mail helped her leave an unsatisfying career behind and find her God-given calling. Before we begin, I want to let you know that you can access the show notes for today's episode at donsadler.com slash 015. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and leave us a review because this helps us grow a community of people who are boldly pursuing God's calling for their life. The Your Purpose is Calling podcast is brought to you by the Bold Visions Brave Warriors Coaching System helping Christians overcome fear, doubt, and overwhelm to achieve their God-given calling. You can find out more at boldvisionsbravewarriors.com. And now, let's meet Brett. Hi, Brett. Welcome to the show. Hi, Dawn. Thank you so much. Um, So you and I, it's always fun to sort of know how we got connected. And we've actually been friends for a few years now. Um, And I've had an opportunity. One of the things I was so, one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on the show is I always say if I could borrow someone else's brain for a day, it would be your brain. (laughs) I'm like, trust me, you'd give it back. (laughs) But the uh, the thing that the thing that I find so remarkable about you, um, and just to give our listeners a little bit of context, is that I think most of the time people sort of are either thinkers or feelers, and what I really have. Um, admired about you is that you rate off the charts on both intellect and on empathy. And that's such a unique, um, such a unique blend. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that, um, okay. in, as we go, but, um, but enough about what I think about you. Why don't you take a moment and tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Sure. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, So I am Brett Gilbert, and I am a professor. I teach currently at American University in Washington, D.C., and most of my teaching currently is around global corporate citizenship. So I'm teaching our students about business and society and making sure that we are training managers who will be socially responsible uh, managers of the companies that they work for. Um, I do a lot of research around entrepreneurship, and in particular, my research really focuses on um, regional innovation systems, places like Silicon Valley, um, where you see a lot of entrepreneurial firms that are creating new products, new technologies, and trying to understand how those regions ultimately affect entrepreneurs. Um, are they good for entrepreneurs? Are they bad for entrepreneurs? And if so, you know, why are they having the effect that they're having? 
So my research really is intended to build a body of knowledge that helps us to understand, you know, what is it about these regions that um, is either good or bad for entrepreneurs. That's amazing. That's amazing work. How did you, how did you first get involved in that? Well, interestingly, I took a seminar during my PhD program. This was back in like 2000. And in the seminar, it was a course on globalization, entrepreneurship, and economic development. And in that course, we learned a lot about clusters. So, you know, again, Silicon Valley. And I just really became very fascinated with these regions and the fact that there were so many innovative companies that were operating there that these companies were building significant wealth within the regions, and they were obviously building wealth for the people who owned them. And so as a person who grew up in Detroit, um, which has, you know, pretty significant inner city population where there's poverty, um, I was really intrigued with understanding what can we learn from these regions that ultimately could be taken to economically distressed regions like Detroit, like developing countries, and used to basically help build wealth in those regions. That, I, <laughs> how did I not know this before, Brett? <laughs> I don't know, Dawn. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like a terrible friend. I'm like, really? That's really cool. How did I not know that? Um, sorry. So do you, tell me, so you grew up in Detroit yes. and you saw this disparity. And then um, later on, you saw an opportunity to kind of have this social responsibility in businesses and to be a part of um, and to be a part of that and to be a part of figuring out how to um, how to how to bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that was something that you specifically felt God was calling you to? Oh, absolutely. You know, I often tell people that this career that I have is not something that I could have conceptualized on my own. Um, I really feel like this was a path that God created for me, and I've just been following the footsteps, basically, um, for my life. And so, you know, I wish that I could have come up with this career because it's pretty amazing. (laughs) But it truly was not me. Um, It was definitely something that God led me to, and I really feel like um, there's purpose for me in doing the work that I do. So let me ask you, I think a lot of a lot of our listeners can probably relate to um, this idea that, I, you know, I, I feel like I'm interested in something, but I don't know necessarily if that's my calling. So mm-hmm. what was it that happened, just kind of practically speaking, that made you feel confident that this was an actual path that God had for you? Oh, sure. So interestingly, um, when I was in undergrad, I took a lot of classes that required me to do market research. And Mm -hmm. I just really became very fascinated with the research process and how businesses could ultimately use research to make decisions about um, directions that they should be taking the organization in. And... When I graduated from undergrad, I went and I worked in corporate and, you know, I spent five years total in corporate. But what I realized was that when I was away from kind of the research aspect of things, I really wasn't interested in business. (laughs) And so so I needed to get back into a setting where I would be able to continue to do the research and um, use that information to help businesses make decisions from it. 
And so there was a point where I would literally change jobs like every year um, when I was working because I was just not feeling satisfied with what I was doing. And after about the fourth year of changing jobs every year, <laughs> you know, I finally decided that maybe I need to sit down and really figure out what it is that I'm supposed to be doing with my life because I can't continue to change jobs every year. Like this is really getting out of control. So mm. interestingly, it was right around that time that I received a postcard from an organization called the PhD Project, and they were trying to get more African-American, Hispanic-American, and Native Americans to consider getting PhD so that we could ultimately enter the classrooms, teach students, and potentially to bring more students of color into business classes so that they could ultimately get placed into corporations and help to improve the diversity of our companies. And so when I received this postcard from them, I was really intrigued, but at the same time, I was thinking, I don't know that I'm ready to just go and teach full time. But, you know, I decided that I would go to the conference that they were holding, get the information and just see what it was all about, because obviously there was no harm in doing that. So I attended this conference. And while I was there, I learned that a PhD was more about research than it was about teaching. And having gone to a small liberal arts school where I think something like 95% of our professors had PhDs. I always associated the PhD with teaching and not really with research. And so it wasn't until I went to this conference that I learned that a PhD is actually a research degree. It's not really a teaching degree. And so once I learned that, I was like, oh, my God, I think I have found my life path. <laughs> it's like this is totally what I need to go and do. But, you know, I think it was really a lot of serendipity, you know, at that time and just kind of God putting me in a place where I had to really take a step back and say, you know, the path that I'm on right now doesn't feel right for me. Um, and I really just needed to, you know, spend some time to really kind of figure it out. And then God led me to this organization, you know, that ultimately gave me the information that I needed to be able to pursue the degree that really allows me to do what I want to do ultimately. And it's been awesome. Like, Isn't that? Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think for people who are really kind of facing this question of, you know, is this really my purpose? I think a lot of it really does um, boil down to going back to what you were most interested in, what you were really passionate about doing. Um, it could even be something that you were passionate about in your youth. Um, it could be something that you did as a kid. It could be something that you encountered in high school or in college, as was the case for me. But I think going back and identifying those areas of passion in your life can really help you to begin to figure out, you know, what's the path that I should be going down? And then I think if you just sit down and get quiet, you know, before God and just kind of allow God to bring things into your memory, then you will probably discover the path that you're really supposed to be on. That's so great. And the thing I love about that, I love the practicality of, of what you just said. Um, you know, God, God is not playing some big game of hide and seek with us. Mm -hmm. He actually um, wants to reveal to us the thing that is um, that we're passionate about. But I love something so simple as a postcard mm -hmm. <laughs> um, coming in the mail, right? Yes. That's how God works. Yes. He works in a lot of different ways and just... Um, 
And that when we pray, it's not always like this big lightning bolt from heaven. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just a postcard in the mail. Um, But it's it's powerful how faithful he is and how many different ways that he can speak to us. Um, So I I think that's amazing. Uh, Something that I want to talk about, because I think it's a really important part of the context of this whole conversation. Um, Earlier, I mentioned that you are somebody that scores really high on both intellect and empathy. And going along with that, you actually, I think people are either sort of book smart or people smart Mm -hmm. and you're very educated, but you're also very people smart. And that's driven by in part, I think your empathy, but also you have traveled to more countries than probably anyone I've ever met. (laughs) Um, And you do that both for work and because you really love to travel and experience new cultures. How many, how how many countries have you visited? Uh, I think I'm officially at 95. (laughs) 95. Wow. Um, So what role do you think that that play, what role does that play in just sort of your view of, I don't even know where I'm going with that question. (laughs) (laughs) That's quite all right. (laughs) I just wanted to toss in that you'd been to 95 countries because it's really cool. (laughs) So funny. (laughs) And so, um, and so you've got this really broad understanding of a lot of different cultures and you're able to, to bring that perspective to everything you do in and outside of the classroom, what you do in your research, outside of your research. And you also speak at conferences around the, around the world about yes. this as well. Um, so it's a very broad, um, broad experience. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit more about the research that you do. And just for context for our listeners, tell us a little bit about what research looks like. You actually sit down and you interview entrepreneurs in other countries. Is that correct? Yes, that's been part of it. Um, I've been interviewed entrepreneurs, um, people who help entrepreneurs, so people who are part of the ecosystem for them, um, I've interviewed, <clears throat> excuse me, city officials um, in different cities just to get an understanding of some of the policies that they might have in place to help entrepreneurs or to get a sense of whether there may be policies that are harming entrepreneurs. So I do try to talk to a broad group of individuals in order to really understand the entrepreneurial landscape in various cities. <clears throat> excuse me. And so um, up to this point, <clears throat> I've done research in South Africa, Brazil, and India. And, you know, it's really been quite an amazing experience to just kind of see what entrepreneurship looks like in different contexts and to hear from people who live in those cities um, what entrepreneurship means to the people who are there and how they are surviving as entrepreneurs or maybe not surviving as entrepreneurs and to just get a sense of what this entrepreneurship dynamic looks like around the world. How do you think entrepreneurship is different in America compared to some of the other countries where you've done research? Well, I would say the biggest thing is that we really value entrepreneurs here and we almost celebrate entrepreneurs here. And in a lot of the other countries where I've done research, that's not the case. Entrepreneurs are not necessarily celebrated in those countries. And in fact, 
Um, most people try to discourage their kids from becoming an entrepreneur. So, for example, I remember one of my entrepreneurs in South Africa telling me that when he told his family that he wanted to be an entrepreneur, they just thought he didn't want to work. <laughs> Oh, wow. And I was like, that's interesting because entrepreneurs are some of the most hardworking people that I know. <laughs> right, right. I was just thinking, has their family met an entrepreneur? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, what that said to me was that their idea of what an entrepreneur is is probably not accurate to who entrepreneurs really are. And so there are different social conceptualizations of entrepreneurs. And it's partly due to the fact, like in South Africa, and this was also true in India and in Brazil, they have a lot of people who operate in the informal sector. So these might be people who are selling fruit, you know, by the side of the road, or they're selling some type of tourist um, trinket, you know, for people to buy. And that becomes people's ideas of who entrepreneurs are. And that's not really an occupation that they want their children to um, aspire to be essentially. So, you know, the people like the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world, you know, are not really what they see as entrepreneurs for some reason. They really kind of focus more on the people who are kind of the street vendors in a lot of ways. And so a lot of people try to discourage their kids from becoming entrepreneurs. Um, I think also in part because they just want their kids to have more of a secure life. And when you're an entrepreneur, obviously, there's a lot of uncertainty um, that you have to deal with. And so a lot of people really push their kids towards going to get the government job or going to work for a large corporation, because those are the occupations that ultimately um, bring stability to people and that allow people to live a good life in a lot of these com countries. What do you think um, these young people who want to be entrepreneurs and are facing this kind of stigma um, in their, uh, you know, around entrepreneurship in their families, what do they say to their families? Do you know? Um, so for some of them, you know, they, they just push back, you know, on the family objecting to them being an entrepreneur. Some of them kind of acquiesce and they put it on the back burner and, you know, they decide that they'll wait, you know, until a better time. <clears throat> to actually pursue entrepreneurship. So it just really depends on the individual. Not all of them have kind of the strength to go against their family's wishes. Um, so, you know, they would often tell me stories about people that they know who also wanted to be entrepreneurs, but, you know, the family pushback was too strong. And so they just decided that they were going to continue working their job and forget about being an entrepreneur. And so it just really depended on the individual. Some of them were more than happy to um, push back against family members, but others just really didn't feel like they could do that. And so what the family wanted, the family got ultimately at the end of the day. Your role is not to instigate change in these situations. You're a, a researcher, so you cannot actually go into those situations and advise. Is that correct? Well, I see my role as being helping city officials to kind of understand some of the challenges that might be affecting people's abilities to become entrepreneurs in their cities. And so it really is kind of exposing the barriers that entrepreneurs are facing in these various cities. 
Um, and the reason why that's important is a lot of these cities really do desire to see more entrepreneurial activity happening within them. But as long as these barriers exist, it's going to be really difficult for entrepreneurs to ultimately be able to go out and start the companies that need to be started. So my research is really to kind of uncover some of these factors that really are preventing entrepreneurs from being able to start successful businesses. And how does going into these situations and seeing, you know, whether you're dealing with officials or whether you're dealing with somebody who wants to be an entrepreneur and and is facing that family pushback, how does being a believer inform how you go into those situations? You know, I think that my faith is ultimately what helps me to be able to empathize with people. Um, who are in these situations. And, you know, I oftentimes will pray and I will ask God to give me insight, you know, give me wisdom on, you know, what needs to happen in order to change the dynamics in a particular city. And so, you know, I feel that, you know, faith is really very important for even inspiring me with ideas of things that various cities would be able to implement in order to bring about entrepreneurial change. And what are you, so it's very spirit led um, when you go into these situations. And I love that, I love that you pray and, and, and that that's your approach. So when you go in these situations, and obviously you're very, very um, close to talking to these entrepreneurs and working with them, what as a believer are you believing that God will do in these situations? You know, I ultimately see entrepreneurship as being, you know, a great wealth creator. And I really do feel like entrepreneurship can change the dynamics, not just for individuals, but also for entire communities and cities and even countries. And so, you know, I really believe as more people are able to start businesses, as they're able to start successful companies, that that's really going to help advance not just their families, but also their societies where they live. And so, you know, I really do feel that entrepreneurship is an important vehicle for helping to change the dynamics in a lot of our most impoverished cities and countries around the world. That's amazing. So let's bring it back to um, let's bring it back to America for a moment. <laughs> um, and I know that there's a lot of our listeners who um, are listening to this right now, and they're entrepreneurs. And one of the things that I've talked about many times in this podcast, as someone who's walked through it, and and certainly has seen other people walk through it, is that when we are pursuing something that we feel God is calling us to, that there's an aspect of spiritual warfare to it. Mm -hmm. Um, That even in this day and age where here we have access to pretty much anything we need right at our fingertips to start a business, um, that we still can face fear, doubt, overwhelm, procrastination, um, all of those things. So I'm just curious about what your perspective is on, on, the spiritual warfare of entrepreneurship and how we can battle that and take authority over that. Sure. I mean, it's definitely a very real factor that I think people are going to face. And I think the important thing is to, one, acknowledge that it's it exists and it's going to happen and to be prepared for that. And I think, two is to make sure that you're always Um, educating yourself so that you're able to take baby steps if you need to in order to bring your vision for a business into existence. 
Um, I think oftentimes people let, you know, the spiritual warfare um, discourage them from wanting to pursue the company any further. And, you know, that's when you really do need to dig your heels in and, again, do those baby steps if you need to in order to bring that company into existence. So I think just recognizing that it's likely to happen um, will really help you to be able to withstand it when you do start to feel that that resistance to bringing this idea into existence. Yeah. And what are some of the, what are some of the practical steps that you might give our listeners about, um, I know starting with those, with those baby steps and just, you know, we have this temptation that we want to just eat the whole elephant, right? To Mm -hmm. use an old cliche (laughs) (laughs) instead of just bite, 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 but just like in their prayer life, what would, what would be some things that, some practical steps that you think entrepreneurs could take if they were facing that resistance? Sure. I think one of the important things would be for people to, again, really identify their passion you know, and mm-hmm. make sure that this is an area that you should be going into. Um, sometimes it's possible that the resistance you're facing is because you're not in the right area. So you need to make sure that you get into the lane <laughs> that you're supposed yeah. to be in. Yeah. Um, But I think also, you know, just, again, praying and asking God to reveal to you um, what it is that you're supposed to be doing. What should this company look like? Um, I'm a big believer in writing the vision down, you know, that Mm -hmm. you have for the business and using that as a guide for you to create a company that ultimately would bring glory to God. So I think it's really important for entrepreneurs to be writing down, you know, what this company should look like, and then taking those small steps, you know, towards bringing that company into existence. What are some of the, what are some of the things that you think that entrepreneurs who are Christians, um, how they can be using their business to glorify God? That's a good question. So I think that we glorify God in the way that we operate um, in the way that we conduct our business. Um, I think, obviously, if you are incorporating any type of social responsibility into your business, then obviously, if you're serving the needs of the poor, or you're looking for communities that are underserved, that's also going to bring glory to God, because those are people that God would be looking out for as well. Um, But I think ultimately, just making sure that your business operations and your business practices are Um, truthful and honest and that you have integrity in your company. These are all things that we can do to bring glory to God through our businesses. Yeah, I think that's great. And I know that we've talked too about just the role of, um, just the role of service, like customer service and employees, how we, um, how we interact with our employees, that those are small things that we can do that actually glorify God every day. And it's not the big billion dollar businesses, um, you know, that can, that can pour a ton of money into the church. Yes. And amen to all of those, but that we actually are the church wherever we go, um, including in how we lead our customers and our clients and our, and our employees um, each and every day in our business. Absolutely. And it's generally the small businesses anyway, that really make impact in the community. So, you know, I think if you are an entrepreneur, you probably have the 
biggest influence, you know, in your community in order to make change and to make a difference in the community where you live. So, you know, I think it's important to not underestimate the type of effect that you could have in your community, because even a small thing that you do for your community could really have significant effects down the road. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I feel like I could talk to you forever about this stuff because it's so interesting. And I think that the work that you do is so fascinating. And I know we've only really scratched the surface of it. Um, but unfortunately, as always, we have to we have to start to wrap up um, sure. <laughs> this episode. Um, so what we'd like to do is just talk about the final five. And okay. um, these are five questions designed to resource our listeners. So the first one is, other than the Bible, what's one book that has changed your life and why? You know, I would have to say The Shack. Um, and hmm. I really love this book because it really demonstrated very well how God handles each of us individually and, you know, meets us where we are in life. Um, I think it also really kind of awakened me to the reality that our walks don't have to look the same and, you know, mm -hmm. they likely won't look the same. And it doesn't mean that God is not with us. It just means that God is dealing with us in the way that we need him to deal with us. Um, I love the fact that it really, you know, kind of emphasize that God is not this kind of impersonal being that's in the sky who treats everybody the same way, but, you know, that God is really um, a personal, you know, very intimate God who reaches each of us exactly as we need him, you know, to reach us and that he really does want to have that intimate relationship with us and will do what is necessary to create those relationships with his people. That's amazing. And we'll include links to, um, to that book in the show notes. Um, tell me one podcast that you're listening to now and why. <laughs> well, this is a funny question because I'm actually not a regular podcast listener. <laughs> what? <laughs> I know, I know. Well, see, I'm actually a visual learner, so I prefer to read rather than to listen to things. So the few podcasts that I have listened to, um, I've really done so because people have recommended a specific person or a particular topic. Um, I think I've probably listened to your podcast mo most um, of the ones that I've listened to. But, you know, usually if I'm listening to a podcast, it's something that's very specific that someone recommended that I listen to, like on cryptocurrency or, you know, some topic that's popular, you know, for the day. So I don't honestly listen to a lot of podcasts, but I have listened to yours. <laughs> that's all that matters. See, I told you, you're very high on intellect. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so um, tell me your favorite Bible verse and why? So, you know, I actually have two. Great. Um, the first one is Proverbs 4, verse 7. And, you know, that says wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Mm. And I really love the scripture because, you know, I've really seen the kind of damage that ignorance does, you know, in people's lives and in communities. And I really, truly believe that if more people kind of understood this principle, that we wouldn't have a lot of the issues that we face in society today. So, you know, I really believe that God put that scripture in the Bible because it really is something that impacts our lives. If we just had the knowledge and if we just had the understanding and that wisdom about how to deal with situations and how to deal with people who might be difficult in our lives, that, you know, things could really be so much better than they are. Um, and then my other favorite is, 
um, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9, which says, um, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. And I've always loved the scripture because it's something that God spoke to me um, really in grad school, you know, I would say. And it's really been a scripture that's been a testament to what my life has been, you know, over the past years. And so it's just, it's a scripture that's really resonated with me, I would say, especially over the past almost 20 years um, since I started grad school. And it's really shown me and proven to be the truth for my life, because I've definitely seen, you know, things that I could never have imagined I would see in my lifetime. That's so great. That's amazing. What is the best business advice you ever received? Ah, yes, this is a fun one. So (laughs) I remember when I was going on the job market, my mentor um, and advisor, you know, basically told me to keep myself marketable. Mm. And, you know, what that meant to me was that, you know, always do the work to make it easy for people to choose you. And um, I think that applies whether you're talking about an employment situation or if you are an entrepreneur who's trying to sell to a customer. If you've done good work, you know, people will want to say yes. And, you know, I think, you know, that really ties back to um, another scripture, Proverbs 18.6, which says that your gifts and talents make room for you and bring you before great men. And, you know, I've just Mm -hmm. always believed that when you're doing your best and when you're operating in the gifts and talents that God has for you, that you will just see doors open up that you really can't explain. And so for me, you know, that's definitely been something that I've tried to live by is just making sure that I I keep myself marketable, do the work to make sure that, you know, other universities, if I needed to go on the job market, would want to hire me. And that would be a very easy decision for them to make. That's great. That's really great. And then what encouragement would you give to somebody now, maybe somebody who is facing, um, facing a spiritual warfare, fear, doubt, and overwhelm in starting or growing a business? I think the best thing for people to do would be to make sure that you find like-minded people people Mm -hmm. who can encourage you um, in that area. Um, I do think you have to be careful about who you share your dreams with because not everyone is going to be supportive of your dreams, but find your community where you would be able to learn and grow with those individuals so that you're able to kind of get beyond those hurdles. And whether it's fear that you're facing or if you feel like you don't have the resources, putting yourself in the right settings can really help you to overcome that fear or maybe even meet people who can open doors for you to make sure that you get the resources that you need to you know, ultimately step out in faith and do what you feel like God is telling you to do. That's so great. Brett, would you mind, um, before we, before we wrap up, would you mind just saying a prayer over our listeners? Oh, sure. No problem at all. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this afternoon and for everyone who is listening to this podcast today. Lord, I just pray and I ask that you would reveal to people um, the desires that you have for them, oh God, the path that you are creating for them, the direction that they should be going in for their lives, Lord, I just pray that you would help them to find that path and that you would lead them to the place that they need to be for their lives. Lord, I pray that you would put people um, in their paths who would be able to help them to realize the destiny that you have for them. I pray, Father God, that you would remove all fears, all doubts that people might have that this is the path that you have for them. And I just pray, Lord, that you would encourage people, that you would 
send them little signs, Father God, even if it's a postcard, Lord, to let them know that this is a direction that they should be going in. And I just pray, Father God, that people would be open to receiving from you in whatever form that you are going to speak to them and that they would not be resistant to hearing from you in a, in a diverse um, number of ways. And I just pray, Father God, that each and every person would realize the purpose that you have for their lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Brett, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'd like to thank my guest, Brett Gilbert, for joining me today. Just a reminder that you can access the show notes for today's episode at dawnsadler.com slash 015. If you'd like to hear more conversations with Christians who are finding purpose, redefining work, and changing their world, subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. This show is brought to you by the Bold Visions Brave Warriors Coaching System, helping Christians overcome fear, doubt, and overwhelm to pursue their God-given calling. Learn more at boldvisionsbravewarriors.com. This has been the Your Purpose is Calling podcast. I'm your host, Don Sadler. Thanks for listening.